Welcome to today's podcast. It's our great pleasure today to have Mike Scruton with us, who is the Director of Print Technology and Strategy over at Adobe in San Francisco. Mike, welcome. Thanks, Debbie. Always good to chat. It's really great to have you with us today. It is. So today we're going to touch on lots of different topics, um, all in and around the um, textile agenda. And we're going to discuss design, we're going to look at trends, we're going to talk a little bit about market shifts, new developments, and the future of colour towards the end of our chat today. So Mike, without further ado, I'm going to crack on and go straight into the first question. Uh, Mike, as we emerge from the challenges of the last 18 months, what have we learned and what's here to stay? I think we've learned to be efficient or more efficient meeting when we're not in the same physical space. Um, we've proven it today. We don't have to get on an airplane and fly and be in the sitting in the same room to, to have a chat like this. So I think e-meetings are here to stay. And I think that's got severe implications for how we do all types of work. Um, what we're seeing in the US, at least, is that companies are thinking about hybrid first. How do they enable teams to be effective when they're distributed? Um, I think when we apply it to our industry, you know, what it really means is we can chat, we can have conversations, we can even draw things on whiteboards, but it's led for, for increased demand for visualization, for software that allows us to predict or see how things will look when they're manufactured. Um, it's tricky in the textile space because textiles are inherently a tactile media. You know, we like touching things, we like holding them, we like to see how things drape. Um, but increasingly, the software's getting more and more sophisticated and allow us to do this. Um, I don't think we fixed all the bugs yet. I think we're seeing the beginning, the genesis of, of where this is going. Some companies I know are, are relying on this already, um, but I think we'll be doing more and more stuff virtually. Um, and I think the other thing that we'll see as well over time is, you know, we, we, we'll be building out our trust muscles. You know, when we send something um, to print on my my desktop printer, I don't think I don't have to worry about, you know, is the color going to come out right? Is everything going to be come out exactly as I saw it on my screen. Because over 35 years or so, 40 years, we've learned that what you see on your screen is what you get out on your printer. We're not there yet, you know, in the world of textiles. But as the technology gets more evolved, we'll build that trust so that we'll be happy that what we're seeing on our screen is highly likely to come out of the printer or from from the mill accurately. And that will enable us to do even more in, a, in the virtual world. Great, great answer. Thank you. We certainly do have so much to look forward to there, don't we? Mike, has the pandemic accelerated, in your opinion, the digitization of our industry? And where will we see the biggest impact? I think, yeah, you know, I think it has, definitely. I think we've been seeing digitization creeping into our industry over the last 5, 10, 15 years. What I think that we've seen in the past is that individual parts, individual parts of the supply chain or individual parts of the creative process have been digitized. I might use a software tool to design a print, for example. Um, gradually, we've been seeing adjacent steps in a workflow become digitized. So for example, we see the, uh, the idea of seeing something on our screen and then printing it on a, um, 
uh, on a proofer in some sense to do a strike off, a simple strike off. You know, so I'd refer that to an adjacent steps being digitized. We're going from a digital screen to a digital printer. I think the other acceleration that we're seeing is that the the potential to automate and dig, um, digitally multiple steps, completely unrelated functions, um, using the same digital data as this single source of truth, if you like. Um, the idea that the designer's digital files can be used for strike off, that can be used for manufacture, could be used for, for marketing and e-commerce even. And I think that's really where the digitization becomes really um, disruptive once you start attaching it to all these different dimensions. Interesting, isn't it? It's it's so interesting to see how it's all going to unfold. And of course, the pandemic's forced, given us all the shortcut to it, hasn't it as well, really? It is part of our working lives now. And that can only help the, the adoption um, in practice, really, can't it? I think that's absolutely right. Mike, the role of the creative designer is increasingly encroaching on production. With greater responsibility, how do you think designers need to adapt? I think it's a subtle change, Debbie. I think we've seen this mm -hmm. in, in other adjacent areas uh, of uh, creativity and production. I think if we think back, some of us are old enough to remember back you know, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, maybe in a different type of publishing industry, where... Mm -hmm. um, color um, digital printing was coming along. The idea of a, having a color printer in your office rather than having to go to another company to get a color print on a piece of paper. Um, 30 or 40 years ago, a designer wouldn't have thought it was their responsibility to get a color print on a piece of paper. We wouldn't have dreamed of it. But now, of course, we don't think twice. You know, color printers are commonplace. Um, and I think in the textile space, we'll see that same type of uh, thought process um, beginning to manifest itself, you know, the idea that you make your own strike-offs or your own samples rather than have that being somebody else's responsibility or something that you send out. You know, you, you might have the ability to print to a fabric in-house rather than having to send it, you know, down the street to the other side of the country or even overseas. Um, you might do that um, yourself, partly because of the speed and efficiency. You know, you don't have to wait maybe hours or days to get a sample back. Um, but but the as this technology evolves and it becomes more and more available, I'm not sure that it's actually the right way to think that designers have to learn to be production people. I think the role is really of the, of the equipment manufacturers and the solution manufacturers to make their, uh, make their tooling simpler to use, right? Um, increasingly simple to use. Um, and as that happens, you know, if, it, if printing a T-shirt, making a T-shirt, it can be as simple as, you know, clicking one button, and that's how the technology has evolved, then why shouldn't it be the original designer that gets to click that one button, mm -hmm. right? So think of what we see today with T-shirt printers. You know, if, if the equipment is as easy to use as that, if we've reduced the need to do pre-wash and um, uh, pre-treatments and stuff like this and having to do a lot of lot of additional part of the process, if we really have reduced the technology down to be much simpler manufacturing, then I think we'll see that move upstream towards the world of the designer. So I'm not sure it's a matter of necessarily about designers um, having to learn the entire role of what it would be to work in a mill. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to see that, but I think we're going to see the technology evolving so that these things become easier to use. And it'll be about 
learning some of how they can benefit from some of these efficiencies. I think it's be a two two way street. You know, I think we'll see efficiencies at, at manufacturing at the mill as well, where because the designer has done some of this work, has a better understanding of the manufacturing process, then the whole process can become more optimal, more optimized, more uh, more seamless, uh, if you like. Um, so it's it's going to be a shift and adaptation rather than necessarily um, a the designer doing the work of the manufacturer. Yeah, I guess it's about knowledge share as well, isn't it? Right now, until this is a bit of a segue into the next question, actually. But it is it's about knowledge share, isn't it? It's about right as you say, the machinery manufacturers, the software manufacturers, the print bureaus, anybody that you're entering into that um, commercial transaction with, sharing how they want the data how they want the color spec, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess what you're saying is for the future, that will all become automatic. Mm -hmm. it, it might not be completely automatic. I know there's mm -hmm. a lot of talk in some areas about Industry 4.0 and, and there's a lot of buzz and it's a big opportunity for, for heads like us to sit and have learned conversations about what Industry 4.0 means. And I, I don't get some... I can't get too excited about a, a jargon saying, oh, this will happen, and then I'll wave a magic wand, and like a fairy godmother, everything will be transformed. I don't think life works quite like that. I think we're talking mm -hmm. about incremental steps that people will use, will we'll see in their, own, um, in their own supply chains, in their own production lines, and it will be what works for you. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, oh, and what doesn't work? <laughs> At which point it's then corrected. Right, absolutely. And we, and we learn from that. How do you think? Um, how do you think the manufacturer and the designers then can move forward to make things more transparent? And how can they move forward to embed real-time data? What would your advice be? I think simply the way that, that I would see this, and something we've seen again uh, from adjacent industries, is is simply a matter of of putting all the information in the same place having everybody in the supply chain mm -hmm. um, working from the same point of truth. Uh, whenever you have a translation from one person's world to another person's world, there's a pro there's an opportunity for error. There's an opportunity for inefficiency. Um, there's an opportunity to um, change our way of thinking because if we can all come from the same point of truth, then when we all become educated about everybody's expectations, but it means we have a single point of reference that we can come back to and know that we're using the same thing. And I see this so much in the textile industry where somebody creates something in one bit of software and produces some piece of work, I mean, it goes to the next person and they completely tear it apart, redo it and have to do everything over again for just because of the next part of the process. Um, you and I collaborated um, at Vesper a couple of years ago, and we did this some beautiful work where somebody mm -hmm. had, had created some lovely artwork, and it looked great. The original designer did some work, and it looked great on the screen. But then when it actually came to use it in manufacture, what we found was we actually had to take the original design, tear it apart uh, in, the so in a different piece of software, and paste it all back together again, and effectively recreate the work of the artist. Um, and to be honest, I did that sitting in a hotel bedroom uh, somewhere in deepest Germany. <laughs> I wasn't the creative person, but I had to go back and redo that work. But if we've been able to do that using the, a, a common understanding and a common, common single piece of truth, we would have been a lot better off and a lot more efficient. 
we could have taken that extra step out of the workflow. So what we've been talking about here at Adobe is um, some of the benefits of using a PDF file to contain all that type of information. You know, we're used to passing around TIFF files or PNGs, or some people will even try and use JPEGs to convey uh, information to mm -hmm. a printer. One of the things we've been talking about as a benefit of a PDF file is you can store all that different types of information, but you can store so much more. Um, the idea that uh, we can store really accurate color information, for example, um, that you can store if you're in a, um, a cut and sew environment, that you can um, include the, the cutting information, the outlines of the pattern pieces that you're going to need to cut out from the fabric. Um, instructions that you might have there for sewing those pieces, uh, pattern pieces together later. We might not have the technology uh, to automate a, um, a sewing process today, but we have the ability to put the information into a uh, into a PDF file that can be used all the way through the workflow, from design, through the printing, through the cutting, and actually we can even have metadata in a PDF file, something which you would show to uh, a, um, somebody who is who's stitching the, the, the garment together so they know which bits need to be stitched together as well. Putting all that information in one file really will help um, the, the digital supply chain as we move forward. Definitely. And it's, it's important that we pass that information on to the next generation as well, isn't it? And we start to teach that workflow in our in our academic sector so that the, the graduates, as they emerge from their from their educations, realize that it's it's a, this it's the supply chain is now becoming seamless. There are is there are no islands. They're all joined together, aren't they? It's one mainland, basically. Um, and that's how we all have to talk the same language and we all have to plug and play into each. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I've that's been so fascinating about the way that um, people have been learning these technologies uh, in recent years as well. That the schools are, are really coming together to build micro factories, um, and the, the idea of a micro factory has become trendy uh, in the mm -hmm. world of digital textile printing because it's a way that you can talk about all the different components in one place. But it really does scale. It really can be used to scale. A micro factory is just that. It's a small factory. And you can take any one of those components and do more at that particular part and build a complete complete supply chain. And it's great, but it's actually as applicable within a school or a university or a college environment as it can be for a, for a major factory. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because just over the last 18 months, you're seeing a you're seeing a huge shift over to those principles, you know, the, the micro factory, the smart hubs, smart manufacturing. It's been become a necessity during the crisis. And I think those that's it's not, as you're saying, it's, it's not a trend. It is part of our, our futures, really. Manufacturing is moving closer to the consumer and being distributed worldwide, even if that's from mm. a central hub. It's being pushed out to the manufacturing unit that's closest to the consumer, isn't it? Most, most definitely. Very, very interesting. That's um, a good segue into the, the next question, next question here too as well. Um, talking of academia, talking of design, talking of connecting everything together, um, you have made a very important recent announcement regards Aquario and their graphics textile design software, Mike. Could you tell us more about the, the next developments there? 
Yes. Um, some of you be aware that Adobe and, and, and my team at Adobe um, started looking at the world of digital textile about four or five years ago. Um, we come at it from the world of digital printing. Now, that's my background. I come from the world of, of printing. Um, when we started looking at this space, you know, one of the first things that, that people were telling us about were about gaps in this whole end-to-end -end workflow, the whole supply chain, certainly the digital, digital parts of the, of the supply chain. Efficiency, inefficiencies in some of the steps and, and frankly, some missing features and, and missing tools. So we were trying to get our heads around, you know, how did this work, put ourselves in the role of a designer. And so my team, we built a, a plugin for Adobe Photoshop to test our understanding and make sure that we had that right, test the theories, work out how maybe we can improve some of these things. Um, we learned a lot. We hope that everybody we worked with who we used for beta software learned a lot as well and had some benefits from it too. But one of the things that we learned um, is that, you know, we're experts in the world of digital printing and manufacture. Um, we really need to be able to bring expertise and empower all the users, whatever tools they're using, however they are building their own workflows uh, and, and want to improve their efficiency. All the way from, you know, individual users, um, students at universities, studios, up to the major brands. So what we decided was that the best way to do this was in partnership with other organizations and companies in the industry um, to actually build better connected workflows between applications. So we've announced a partnership with Aquario Design and Ned Graphics, uh, which will see Aquario uh, launch products targeted um, at designers that uses Adobe Textile Designer technology but actually that produces files that are compatible with the manufacturing processes. Manufacturing processes that are powered by the Adobe PDF print engine. And we've been working very closely with our um, friends at Aquario Design and their graphics to make sure that their tools are optimized for the world of manufacturing. Not just that they're good for design, but actually that they can actually take those designs and actually print them, that they actually can yeah. make them. So what, we're do what I'm doing today, what I'm focused on is, is delivering the back-end solutions with our print partners, the companies we work with, the manufacturers of the equipment, um, to make sure that they are optimized for this industry as well. And then working closely with the creators of these solutions, like Aquario and their graphics, to help them build more efficient tools that then connect to the manufacturing. So we, instead of just having these silos that we talked about earlier, that we've got these complete end-to-end workflows that can be a part yeah. of the supply chain. Very important. Very, very important. I look forward to I look forward to exploring that further um, in a new project that uh, we're going to uh, work together on soon called um, Creatives in Residence Live, actually, um, which will be very, very interesting. And that's really is going to try and put into practice all a few of the things that we've said, actually, about trying to share that knowledge that the industry has and put everything into, into the mainframe that we need to make sure we equip the next generation to build an incredibly vibrant print industry using all of this technology that we both have had. It's been a pleasure, actually, hasn't it, to, to watch all of this being developed over the, over the last few years and see how quickly we are now moving to this sort of uh, period of convergence where everything's coming together. It really is um, an incredible time right now. Um, talking of um, design still, actually, one of the main points that is, again, you know, it's become a trendy word, but it really shouldn't be. It has to be the future. Circular design and how that starts with the designer. Mike, in your opinion, how do you think we can all utilise software to eliminate waste? Hmm. 
Yes, it becomes one of those uh, $64 billion questions. Um, and we hope that software is going to come along and save the planet and save us all. Um, I think where we start from, Debbie, is that you know, waste comes at all points in the supply chain, doesn't it? It comes in so many different places. You know, even, you know, uh, producing a, a garment, a product in mass volume, shipping it all the way to the retailer, and then finding that nobody wants to buy it. You know, that's wasteful <laughs> in the very first, very simple case. Um, you know, and, and it, it, they might not sell it because there's a technical problem. You know, maybe they stitched up the armholes and you can't put your hand through. Um, it, that might have been a technical problem with the design. It might just simply be we've created a product that doesn't appeal to a customer. Um, there are many places in the supply chain where there might be waste, I, I know. But, you know, some of these can be more efficient if you're optimized as a complete system. But... If you change just one variable, that efficiency breaks down. And what I think about is that there may well be efficiencies. If I need to create 50,000, a huge number of a particular product, well, maybe I can produce that somewhere far away from where I want to sell it, ship them at low cost. But, you know, because I'm making so many pieces, you know, the, the cost per piece becomes lower, right? But if I want to only make a small number of pieces, I want to make so not 50,000, but 50 or maybe five. I can't use exactly the same supply chain solution because the cost is so much, you know, the cost isn't being shared over that large number of units. You know, it is perfectly capable of producing the same garment if I want 50 or 50,000, but that economy of scale isn't working. We've just changed one number in the entire process and the whole system breaks down. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the problems that we've been facing. It's not just that I'll be printing in huge amounts or small amounts. It's the idea that where we've optimized um, supply chains, when we change just one variable, everything breaks down. Um, so software can play a role in that for definitely. And, and one of the things that I think software will helpfully, particularly better better integrative software will do, is you know reducing the chance of the errors. That idea we had earlier about putting all the information in the same place. Um, mm -hmm. By not having to redo that work, we are, we are improving efficiency. You know, and that comes back partly to circular design as well, doesn't it? You know, By using visualization tools, we can see how something would probably look. It doesn't eliminate the need to make a sample or a strike off, but we can iterate faster. You know, We can try things out. How would this look? How would that look? Yeah. Uh, it, that will reduce elements of waste and speed us up as well. Um, and so our time will spend less time waiting for things to happen. And that will, you know, uh, allow us to be more efficient too. Um, I think, you know, we're getting to the stage where software is beginning to allow us to visualize, you know, what the product looks like even before it's made. Um, and I think once we start then applying that to the world of e-commerce as well, um, so that our customers can choose, you know, options on a on a on a garment. You know, how long would they like the hem to be? How long would they like the sleeves to be? Um, mm -hmm. You know, if we, how would I like the print to be? How large would I like the print to be? If you can do this type of tech technique as well through the software, um, without possibly even a single product being manufactured, or certainly without uh, a large inventory being held in a warehouse, you know, without somebody having to invest in. Um, ordering 50,000 units just to make the cost affordable. Once you start thinking about just-in-time manufacturing yeah. powered by software, then we can start thinking about eliminating a large amount of waste. It doesn't mean that at some points in the supply chain, the cost, the cost for an individual point in the supply chain might be slightly higher. Perfectly true. 
But by eliminating the other parts of the supply chain or reducing the dependency on other parts of the supply chain will reduce the cost overall. So it doesn't necessarily mean that this idea of doing things on demand makes things more expensive. It makes some parts of the supply chain more expensive, yes, but it can eliminate hu- complete other areas. It's really interesting, isn't it? It's almost like, you know, we talk about digital twins, don't we? But really, mm-hmm. that di- the digital twin means absolutely nothing if its DNA is not embedded within it. So unless you can un- unless you can completely unwrap it, it means nothing, does it? It's still a picture that doesn't match production. So we have to be so, so right, careful, right. as you say, and I, I totally agree with you. I think we'll get there, but not quite yet. Well, definitely, definitely. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that um, the world of e-commerce doesn't necessarily, again, it's not a little magic wand, but we can wave and everything will be happy. You know, the, the, the double-edged sword that we have on our magic wand um, is that when somebody receives a garment that they've only ever seen online, they've never touched, they've no, never seen in a store, um, you want them to be delighted by it. You want them to really like it and appreciate it. You know, you want them to keep it. You want them to order more. You know, you want them, you and I have had this conversation, you know, maybe you, you ordered three different garments and you thought you were going to send two of them back, right? But actually what you want the consumer to do is to be so delighted that they keep all three. Uh, particularly, I, I'm seeing this, um, my own family, um, you know, we, we shop online. Um, my wife sat next to me on the couch. We were watching TV one evening and she she purchases a, a, a top from a, a supplier. She got to customize the size. She got to customize the cut, the fit, you know, the pattern, everything. And they made this top for her completely one off. wasn't that expensive. Um, it, it arrived within a couple of days and she was delighted by it. And it's good that she was delighted by it. It met her expectations because the software had translated, you know, that she was working with on her laptop or tablet, you know, was translated into what a skilled, in this case, it was a skilled pattern cutter was cutting out to her particular size. But it, because she was delighted at it by it, it meant it didn't have to be returned. It didn't have to go back into a supply chain and try and find somebody else of her um, her exact size or ex- her exact taste to buy it from a from a discount rack. Um, you know, by setting the expectations correctly and using it all the way through um, through the manufacturing process to all the way to the consumer, we can build some great efficiencies into our workflows. Definitely, and that's all about product loyalty as well, isn't it? Really, it's the same. It's the same service whether we're moving in a in a manufacturing circle or in a retail circle. If you had a bad bad experience, you don't go back, and that's why I guess it's so important that they did those digital twins are become increasingly accurate because as they do, that's going to encourage the e-com world and the re- online retailers when they can actually mirror production with retail and the expectation of the customers exceeded at the point of purchase. Then um, we really will, as you say, you know, going back to where we started with circular design, it'll be right, it'll be correct, and we'll all be a lot happier really, and we will reduce waste. Um, Staying on topic of waste, um, in our in the textile industry, poor colour, um, poor colour management and design faults account for the majority of failed prints and production. How do you see technology, colour technology specifically, overcoming these issues, Mike? I think there's a lot we can learn from the world of of commercial printing. I know I keep coming back to this, um, and also a lot of things we need to be careful about. You know, it's not a magic bullet. Um, 
but we've seen a lot of evolution in the way that we handle color, particularly with digital printing. We get a lot more control over how color is reproduced. The important thing to remember about um, printing digitally is that the way we've we've implemented it as an industry, um, we are we're mixing colors on the fly. Um, if we make a, a garment which is going to have, you know, Adobe Red and Texintel Yellow in it, for example, um, we don't have big vats of Adobe Red and Texintel Yellow. Um, we the digital printer is actually mixing those colors on the fly to reproduce them. Um, what we actually will look to is we want those colors to actually match something else. So if I'm printing a, a design and I've got a print and I'm mixing these two colors, but I've got some other garment that maybe was had been dipped or something where we've got a lot of solid color, we want those colors to match. So we, we've got to be unambiguous about what we mean by these colors. Um, and you know, Adobe Red might mean different things to different people. So having a precise definition of what that yeah. means, what does this, what's my intention when I say Adobe Red, is really, really important. How do I expect this color to look on any particular fabric? How do I expect it to look under any particular lighting condition? Um, when we work with a lot of designers, you know, the traditional way of working with, with color, um, particularly in the digital printing world, is just to refer to it as a number and um or a color code and a lot of web designers mm -hmm. work this way you know and and people designing for the web are used to this idea as i'll say i'll say um hash ff zero 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 and that means something to them that means a yeah. color but it it only means a color in a particular context that context they've not provided they don't actually explain what that context is so in you know in color science um we've developed you know multiple techniques to describe colors and describe colors accurately. Um, some systems use something called ICC profiles to describe a whole range of colors, all the colors you can see on the screen, all the colors you can see in a photograph, all the colors you can create in a printer. And that's a, a good way of accurately managing color. Um, it's not, however, perfectly suited to that original problem we talked about, you know, which is, well, what do we really mean by Texintel yellow? You know, it's great to describe a system. Yeah but it doesn't actually allow us to accurately define what one particular color looks like and maybe under all these different lighting conditions. So there's a technology that's increasingly popular called spectral color. And we and most of our major brands are using this within their manufacturing chains already. I think what we're gonna see is a, an explosion of that getting used again in the whole end-to-end -end workflow. The idea that, again, this idea that we're all using a single source of truth. Um, we can use this spectral color information and, and spe well, basically what spectral color does is it talks about how does this piece of fabric, how does this color react under all different types of light? And, and you get this very sort of, it's like the DNA of a color. What is the DNA of color? Think of spectral color as being just like that, you know, um, but DNA in a, in a Jurassic Park sense in that we can, <laughs> we can reproduce this color just from its DNA, just from its spectral color. Um, it's used in a lot of manufacturing processes already. You know, this is how we do quality control. Uh, the idea that we're meant to manufacture this color and we print it out, we dye, we, we, we dye a piece of fabric, for example, we measure it and then quality control will tell us, ah, you've matched this very, very accurately. And they look at this very, very um, high precision way of working. Um, 
spectral color is basically just a mathematical mathematical model. You know, when we can share that mathematical model and use it all the way from design, use it through approval, use it through the manufacturing process as well, then we can have this completely closed loop. This idea we're always using the same information and um, that we can accurately get exactly what we what we predict. There are still a lot of holes to be worked out. All right, you can still ask for a color which somebody maybe a milk hasn't got a way of reproducing, but at least you will know accurately that they yeah. can't reproduce it or they yeah. they haven't reproduced it if you use this information all the way through. And it's much uh, a very very efficient way of of mapping the entire supply chain. If you had to give that a timeline, Mike, what would you think it would be? Oh, good question, Debbie. I am. I think we'll we're going we some of this is emerging now. Um, I wouldn't say you could buy a complete mm -hmm. digital end-to-end -end spectral color solution today. Um, I know there are people watching this who are jumping up and down and saying, "Oh, but I can do this." And there are there are some very good techn technological solutions uh, from a number of companies that we could name. Uh, maybe in the show notes, we'll, we'll, we'll name drop a few mm -hmm. of them. Uh, but there are some, there are companies doing this today. I think for it to be widespread, I think we're looking at another five years, maybe. Um, but but there are companies working with this now and building these tool sets out now. You could go out, you know, this year, next year, and and do it on a on a on a small ad hoc basis. Um, the big brands can do this because they have their own research departments. Um, but for it to be widespread for everybody to be using it, it's probably going to be another. Um, four or five years, maybe, but we're seeing progress. And you think this could be the missing link in the chain that just connects everything, that helps us connect e-com, online retail, all the way through to production in a supply chain? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in capturing as much information at the point of design that, that we can and not throwing mm -hmm. any information away. You know, for any reason, and and people who've seen me yeah. speak at uh, conferences and things will, will hear me say this about so many different things. You know, if you if somebody has a piece of information available to them, which set which is about describing their expectations about how something should look, how it should be manufactured, then keeping that information. Um, not throwing it away. And it doesn't matter if it's color information. It doesn't matter if it's information about a, a design, a print that we're reproducing. You know, we talk about resolutions and people say, well, what resolution should I use? And 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 my, my answer is always, you know, well, as much as you've got, you know, if you've got a very high quality yeah. photograph of something that you're trying to reproduce, use or don't throw any of that information away until the point that you really don't need it. And that will be somewhere in manufacturing. Manufacturing can work that out. You can always give them too much information and they can always decide to discard it. But much better yeah. to to keep as much information, be it about the color or about the design or, or about the, um, the, the patterns that you want to be cutting out. Keep all of that information. Keep it as long as you possible can within the manufacturing supply chain. And then only discard it when you really don't need it anymore because there are other people that can use that information and use it to make their per their work more efficient and also you're setting what that expectation was it's not you've not had to give somebody a well i didn't actually mean that i just had to put it in that format so i could hand the file over to you you know that's that's where disappointment creeps into um to the the whole process right by by capturing that information as much of it as you can really early on that's how people are more likely to be happy with the final result I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I think that's um, that's, that's really great advice, actually, for any print creative or manufacturer who's looking um, 
working in or looking looking towards um, print on demand too, isn't it really? That you never, and especially as the designer at the beginning, you never know where that artwork is going to end. So why on earth would you lower its resolution or make the files smaller just so just so that you can transport it over over WeTransfer in less time? Whatever it is, whatever reason, right. keep everything as as keep the integrity of the file as secure as possible forever, isn't it? Really, I think that's that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely right, Debbie. I mean, you, t very simple example. You've got a beautiful print on the wall behind you, and it's you've, it's reproduced at a large size. Um, but if somebody had imagined designing mm -hmm. that at a much smaller scale, maybe this was something they were going to put on a on a cushion on a pillow, and it was done much smaller, and they've thrown away all the information so that they could print it something small on a pillow. But then they'd actually try to take the pillow and say, "Well, we'll go the other way. We'll we'll take this nice print that I've got on this pillow, and I will put mm -hmm. it on a wall." And you want to make it larger. You know, if you've thrown all the information away when you made it small, then you won't be able to make it reproduce it big. <laughs> Simple as that. It's and it's exactly that type of problem that we're trying to avoid. Yeah, that's exactly the story of that print, Mike. <laughs> that's exactly how it started out. It started out as a, a small piece of artwork, right. but it was scanned at incredibly high res because I always knew I was going to blow it up big. So yeah, it was designed with that, with that, all of that. Well, that's my job, isn't it? That was trans. That's that's what I do. So I would know that a lot of people don't. And I quite often come across young designers, especially. Um, I remember working on um, FESPA Berlin a couple of years ago. You know, it was a heartache just bringing in some of these files from the graduates who had won the competitions. But looking at how they actually, their final graduate graduation artwork, just looking at how they'd saved some of them. I mean, I was sent 72 DPI JPEGs and I was trying to blow them up to like three meters by two meters. And the file was, I don't know, 20 by 29, like an A4. But that was their final artwork. And you just think, whoa, who told, who let you do that? You know, somebody should really have said to you right at the very beginning, no, 300 DPI, absolutely. And um, work, work to a reasonable scale that, that you can regenerate the file, as you said. Yeah, so there you go. It's the story of the print behind. <laughs> Okay, Mike, I'm so sorry we're, we're getting so short of time. We could we could talk for days, couldn't we? Should we move to the, the last question? Yeah, of course. So, if you had this is a this is probably a could be a could be a long answer as well. If you had a wish list, what would the future hold? Ah. Uh. Well, I'd li really like to see this, um, everybody jumping on this idea of this single definition of truth, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that we all got this, this single source of, of idea of capturing uh, our design that we're all going to be using. I think, you know, the dream I would have is a, as a dream where a designer can create a design digitally for any product, uh, that they can visualize it digitally, uh, even better, maybe immersively, that they can really f yeah. feel like they're really seeing a, a product yeah. from all to all angles, if you like, um, but using the same information uh, all the way through. The idea that a designer can share with the, with the brand owner uh, who can approve a brand digitally, um, that the same information is being visualized by a customer online when they're doing uh, buying something online. It's being used by manufacturing. I think it, we're really, really close to being able to do this. Arguably, we can do it today. Um, it may not be commonplace yet. Um, it might not be scalable for everybody. But I think you know it's really important to, to be able to do this 
and work within the worlds of how you handle fit. How do you handle the um, the the tactile nature of the media that we're working with? Um, we've done a lot of work at Adobe about this. You know, this idea that we can use a PDF file to. Uh, contain all the information. Um, we've got a new website available that people can go and look at. If you go to uh, adobe.com forward slash go forward slash textiles, uh, you can see about some more thoughts about what we've been talking about of these workflows. Um, but the pandemic's been really disruptive. Um, and I think the aftershocks won't play out in the next six months or maybe even the next year. You know, They'll take a little while to materialize, but I think we really are on the right path. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing your 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 knowledge, wisdom and your vision as well for the future. Um, everybody that's listening, we have so much to look forward to our, in our industry, don't we? I think whilst the pandemic's been so difficult and such a challenge, it's also, you can feel it, it's palpable. It's accelerated the digitization of our industry. And that's got to be really great news for everybody involved in it and the planet long term too. Mike, thank you so much, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Absolutely, Debbie. Always good to chat. Take care. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs>